This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning, and welcome to episode 15 of Go to Grandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth. Hey, have you ever thought about writing a memoir? Not sure where to start or whether others will want to read it? Or too worried about the impact on your family? Some of the best memoirs I've read aren't necessarily written by famous or even infamous people. Ordinary people can live extraordinary lives, and I love to read about them. I've written six nonfiction books about parenting, obviously about my own kids, and I'm pretty sure none of the four of them have read even one. I'm okay with that. I'm kind of glad now that I have grandkids that in the future, they'll be able to read about what my parenting journey was like and what their mom, my daughter, was like as a kid. Do I worry about what I write? As Anne Lamott says in her book about writing, Bird by Bird, you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. By the way, if you are thinking about writing a book, hers is one I highly recommend reading a few times, like I have. You should also read Stephen King's On Writing. Some homework for you there. Today, I'm joined by two people who have put it all out there. Kathy Galdener decided to become an author at the age of 50. She is now a New York Times bestselling author and the master of the memoir. She's going to tell us how to get started. Ralph Ben Murgy is a name known to most Canadian radio and television audiences. I'm going to be talking with Ralph about his new book, I Thought He Was Dead. I couldn't put his book down, and I think you'll love my interview with Papa, as his grandkids call him. Writing a will is something we all need to do, but many of us feel it is a daunting and difficult thing to do. We'll talk to an expert from RBC Royal Trust about estate planning and how to have these conversations with our families. You might want to take notes. Grab that laptop, tablet, or good old pen and paper and stay tuned for a half hour of information and insight. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Award winning broadcaster and host of the Not That Kind of Rabbi podcast, Ralph Ben Murgy is also an ordained spiritual counselor, seeing individual clients and running workshops on aging to saging and creating your own toolkit. Now we can add author to the list with the publication of his new book, I Thought He Was Dead, a spiritual memoir. Good morning, Ralph Ben Murky. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed your book, which is called I Thought He Was Dead. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read a really quick passage from it to start us off. Sure. David Cox once compiled a list of recurring attributes of older characters in film and television for The Guardian newspaper. First, let's keep in mind that only 5% of characters in cinema and on TV are over 60. Of those 5%, the paper maintains that they are overwhelmingly portrayed as ineffectual, grumpy, behind the times, depressed, lonely, slow-witted, sickly, whining, rude, miserly, hard of hearing, ugly, interfering, heartless, intransigent, doddering, mentorish, frisky or profane like what the heck <laughs> that is quite a list <laughs> yeah it's not very positive is it's it? it's not really i mean maybe frisky i don't know but yeah overall not not very um yeah not very positive so ageism is ageism pardon me is real we know this um explain to me in your book as you do so nicely what is aging to saging let's get positive well i think that 
one of the things that we fall into as a trap is is believing the assignations you just listed mm-hmm. off all, all these things or who we're supposed to become and we're also in a society where after a certain age uh, your services will not be needed anymore. Mm-hmm. So we find ourselves sort of wandering around Shoppers Drug Mart looking for discounts <laughs> and calling ourselves seniors. But in reality, uh, what I would really love to see is that people being able to call themselves elders mm-hmm. uh, and being respected. Now, this is not to say that just because someone is older, they're supposed to just have this happen. You know, there's lots of uh, dumb older people and dumb younger people. There's more than enough to go around. But the point is to find a way, and I try to help people with that in the book, uh, to find a way to really uh, build up your your muscles, your saging muscles. So taking um, stock of your life, uh, thinking about who do you love and what are you the most proud of? Um, what do you regret? What do you want to be remembered for? What is the renewed purpose I can find after my so-called work life is over uh, because we live longer than we've ever lived. Mm -hmm. And at this point, if somebody says to you at 65, well, thank you very much. Go play golf. I don't like golf. Right. (laughs) Neither do I. (laughs) I'm not going to spend 15, 20 years playing golf. So what am I going to do and how am I going to sort of elbow my way back into the conversation as an elder uh, who can help to have wisdom, to mentor people, to be an important part of our society, to do depositions at City Hall about things we care about because we have a little more time if we're lucky. Um, so that's really, for me, saging is a process. I, I do all kinds of things with people. I, In workshops, I'll have them all write their obituary. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. they all end up living to about 100, and they die peacefully, <laughs> surrounded by loving family. And I say, well, do you really want a 100? Right. Like, is your spouse going to be alive? Are all your children still going to be there? Are your friends going to be there? Physically, it's really challenging to, to be 100. You know, it's mm-hmm. just not that easy for people. So I, I like to let people become conscious about the fact that we are here, we've arrived, and that others aren't going to give this to us. We're going to have to find a way to claim it for ourselves. Yeah, I wanted to, to talk about when you were speaking about when we work, and you have a quote, you say, when you work, you always have tomorrow. And you have, I guess, that purpose. Is that the right word I'm using there? Um, sure. Yeah. And I loved what you talked about uh, career legacy circles. Could you explain that a little bit for me? Well, I, I found that uh, doing research. Um, and what it triggered for me was the idea of, you know, I've worked in larger organizations a lot in my life. And you get an email at about two in the afternoon, uh, come to the boardroom to say goodbye to Frank. Right. Uh, pizza will be provided. And, you know, you're a little hungry by two o'clock and <laughs> better than a Mars bar. It's I'll free cake, right? <laughs> yeah. So you go and you see Frank and you give him a little slap on the back if, if you knew him well enough. And you say, hey, man, you keep in touch. And you never see Frank again. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the good way you go. The bad way you go is we won't be needing you anymore. Um, and there's somebody from security waiting at your desk for you to just uh, you know, clear out. And off you go without even getting to say goodbye. Because I guess the employer is afraid you're going to run up and down the halls with a, a torch screaming, <laughs> it's unfair, not me. Right. So what I would prefer to see is when people are know they're going to be leaving uh, and they've worked with a group of people for any period of time, why not have a circle? 
Right. Why not just sit together with three or four people that you over the years became friends with at work, which is quite normal to do, and let them tell a little story about something you and they did together. The time you rented a car and got lost and were late for the meeting and whatever. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. But everybody gets to sort of honor you in their way. And then you get to say your thank you to all of them for being part of your life because work is part of your life. And uh, off you go. And that will give a person some dignity mm -hmm. in their life. And I think that it's important that we, we maintain things like that. Career circles is, why aren't there wisdom councils at, at organizations? People who don't work there anymore, but can be convened a few times a year for advice, for mentorship. You know, we're thinking of doing this. What's your experience been? And what do you think we could do? And that would give that vitality to the conversation. Um, that an older person really would enjoy, I think. And uh, you can always help people. I had a, a, a workshop where a guy was a 70-ish lawyer, and he just thought, if I stop, I'll die. Mm -hmm. Right? He yeah. was really worried about it. But, you know, on the other hand, he thought, well, you know, if I don't do this, who am I? I'm, I'm a lawyer. Here's my business card. That's who I am. What he realized is the young man called him up and said, hi, uh, another lawyer told me I should talk to you because this is one of your specialties and I'm just new to it. Uh, could you help me for a minute? And he didn't think much of it. He said, sure, yeah, no problem. So he helps the, the younger person. And then the guy says, oh, by the way, if I need any more help, do you think I could call you back or, or anything? And said, of course. And he got off the phone and he realized, you know, I've always been afraid that if I'm not at the front of the parade, I'm not valuable. Mm -hmm. But I don't need to be at the front. I can mentor somebody and help them get to the front of the parade. And, you know, a short while later, he wasn't uh, working full time anymore. He was mentoring and doing things part time because that fear had, had disappeared from his life. So. You know, it all depends how we look at it, I guess. And that's huge, isn't it? Just that fear disappearing of who am I? What is my role now? And you talk a lot in the book, of course, about spirituality. And why do you think spirituality is an important part of our move into the elder years? Big question. Yeah. Well, I mean, but if you'll notice, so this is one of these things in, in synagogues and churches and temples where they think, you know, everybody's so old in here. We're, <laughs> we don't have the young people. But you know what? In the Hindu culture, there's two things that they say. One is that you start your life as, a, as an adult to become a householder, to create family of any kind, to acquire things, and to be part of that world. But then when that part's over, you become, in their terms, a forest dweller, where you spend time in contemplation. Because one of the things you can appreciate as you get older is that life is quite finite. You know, at 21, you think it's all forever. At 71, you measure your life in decades, mm -hmm. if you're lucky, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to take that gift and say, I want to think about this in a bigger way. I want to zoom out now that I've zoomed in for this long. I, I want to be part of things. And, you know, the other part of it is mortality is real. I start the book with illness and say, look, this is real. And I called the book I thought he was dead because I come from being a public figure yep. mm -hmm. who over the last 10 years or so, really sort of did a lot of work behind the scenes with people. I wasn't that interested in being out front anymore. But I'd noticed that when I'd see somebody I hadn't seen in 15 years, they, and they hadn't seen me on TV or heard me on radio, there was this look on their <laughs> face which was, I thought he was dead. 
That's a, and, I mean, I shouldn't laugh, it, but it's sort of funny. No, it's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> I mean, Mort Saul, a great comedian from the 60s and 70s, a comic who, when I saw him at Yuck Yucks when I was a stand-up, I went home and cried because I thought, I'll never be that relevant. He's, you know, he's fantastic. Right. Well, he just died at 94. Wow. And everyone I know just went, I thought he was dead. <laughs> Okay, there you go. (laughs) So there you go, exactly. So, Ralph, what can we do to value each other as as we age? I'm 58. A lot of my friends are in similar age groups. Uh, We've got a couple of minutes just here. Can you give me a, a, a quick sense of what we can do to value each other as we age? Well, I would say that go back to that spiritual piece, because the spiritual piece is about me being able to see what I call the divine spark in you, and you see it in me. And we talk to that part of each other. I talk to your heart from my heart, not from my head, from my heart to your heart. And you don't waste any more time. This isn't a rehearsal. I say it in the book, and and I really think it's important that we just stop thinking it'll happen sooner. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, as soon as I'm finished with this, I'll get to live the life I want. My father was three days from retirement when he had massive stroke. Wow. And for three years... He declined until he died. Mm. Three days they had, my parents had their suitcases packed for a trip to see uh, relatives in Venezuela. So it's not a rehearsal, like get on with it. Don't, Don't think, you know, what will I do when I'm 65? If you're 58, you're already seeing some of the leaves fall from the tree. Not, not that many, but just a few. Autumn is beginning and revel in it. Don't, don't apologize for it, you know, but, find a way to become your true self Absolutely. and, and waste any more time. Absolutely. Well, Ralph, I really enjoyed your book, as I've mentioned a couple of times. Your last name is B-E-N-M-E-R-G-U-I. For those who don't know Ralph Benmergi, we can find you on social media as well. And I really thank you for your time and, I, and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kathy. I really appreciate you having me. Kathy Geldiner has her doctorate in psychology. She was in private practice for 25 years. She has written three New York Times best-selling memoirs. She has also written novels and hundreds of journalist pieces. Her latest book, chosen as a top pick for Good Morning America, is a book of case studies entitled Good Morning Monster, Five Heroic Journeys to Recovery. She has been married for 50 years, has three sons and a grandson. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So I have read your book, Too Close to the Falls, which takes us back to Lewiston, New York, in the 1950s. And I was absolutely fascinated by the social history of this, by the stories that you tell. Congratulations on such a great book. Oh, thank you. So writing a memoir, and you've written other books since then, and we're going to get into that, but writing a memoir, where does one start? It seems a little daunting. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, Jung, a famous psychologist, Mm -hmm. said that everyone has a universal unconscious which means we all have the exact same developmental stages in our life. And what happens is when you write something and it relates to your universal unconscious, something that we all have and that we've all inherited, then in fact it becomes interesting. Hmm. So what I think you have to do is to find out exactly what those things are and, and to tap into them and then say, when did that happen in my life? 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think the first thing you need to do is just write down your most traumatic episode. Okay. Like everybody needs to do that. Just launch right into yeah. that. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't start with it, but make a list. Right. Because, you know, like as Darwin says, you know, trauma is stored in many, many places in the brain so that we can activate it quickly if we need to run. Oh. So like the traumatic memories, you will remember them. Absolutely. And from childhood or all the way through our whole lives. Yeah, Absolutely. That's right. That's right. I mean, if they're too traumatic, you don't remember them, but you know, most people do, right? Okay. And then what I'd say everyone has their first sexual memory, whatever it is. Okay. You know, realizing that sex exists. Mm-hmm. I don't mean like gory details of your sex life, right? <laughs> Unless uh, you really want to, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can get into that. I sure. mean, you know, they, they, Fifty Shades of Grey, whatever. <laughs> That's right. uh, but what was mine in uh, Too Close to the Falls, I mentioned meeting Marilyn Monroe, who mm-hmm. was in Niagara Falls for a movie. And I, I suddenly realized that, you know, there was something about her that was unusual and that men were acting very strangely around her. So I was, you know, I was maybe seven or eight. And so I, I finally realized there's something going on in the world that I don't know about, right. but I haven't quite figured out what it is. That, I love that story. That was one of many great stories in the book, but that was a great one. So how do we know, Kathy, sometimes you've mentioned the trauma and sexual, and how do we know what to include in terms of considering other people's feelings? Oh, okay. You, <laughs> if you're going to write a memoir, you have to have ice in your veins. I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Well, that's, that's great. See, I was very lucky because I had an. I'm an only child, and my parents died young. Right. So, I mean, that's perfect memoir material, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, people say that to me all the time. Like, I'll say, "Why didn't you put this interesting thing?" And she goes, "Oh, it would upset my brother." Mm. And you know, like, if you're going to write a memoir, you have to have, you, you know, you just have to have ice in your veins, and also you have to say, "This is just my interpretation of what happened." That's right. Exactly you know, right. I mean, you know, there's, biographies have to have true, they have to have facts, right? But memoirs are only your interpretation of what happened. And, you know, I mean, that can be anything in the sense that I'm sure if you have brothers and sisters and you talk about an event from your childhood, they say, that didn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. That was different. No, I didn't experience it like that. So, I mean, everyone will recognize the event, but people disagree on what actually happened in terms of feelings. And you're right. It's just, it's, it's what we experienced. It's not wrong. It's just that's that right. was our experience in that particular event. That's right. That's right. You know, I mean, she didn't want to talk about some bullying episode. And I said, oh, look, he was 14 and you were only seven. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, but now he's, you know, 50 and works at a huge company. Like it, it's, you know, people are bullied. And that's another thing you should always include if you were bullied or ah. if you were a bully. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I had, I've had more letters about the bullying than I had in any other, uh, any other book I've ever written. Oh, wow. And speaking of, of writing books, I do want to talk about your new one, which is called Good Morning Monster, Five Heroic Journeys to Recovery. What can right. you tell me about that book, Kathy? Okay, well, that book is about trauma, mm-hmm. and it's about patients that I had. And, um, you know, I just got really sick of people talking about heroes that were war heroes. You know, like, I, I thought, I've seen more bravery in, you know, in my office than, you know, mm-hmm. uh, General Patton saw in World War II. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people that were, like, tortured, and their lives were, I mean, mentally tortured, mm-hmm. and their lives were, were really difficult, but they held on to their sanity, and there's so many people walking around that are heroic, that held on to their sanity by coming up with the most wild schemes to just try to make it to the next day. And so I wanted to write about heroes, but I wanted them to be psychological heroes. So um, that's why I wrote Good Morning Monster. Good Morning Monster is what one mother said to her daughter every day. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of get that. I got four without kids. A, yeah. Without a tone of irony. Right? right. So if we want to find more of your books, Kathy, which I'm sure everybody will, these are New York Times bestselling books. Your last name is G-I-L-D-I-N-E-R. And can we find you on social media as well? Yes. Yes. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm on all the, you know, mm-hmm. all the things. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I hope that my listeners were taking notes on how to get started on their own memoirs. And hopefully we'll hear about some of those as well. Yeah, great. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. Leanne Kaufman is president and CEO of the Royal Trust Corporation of Canada and the Royal Trust Company. She is responsible for the strategy and overall management of RBC Royal Trust, which provides wealth protection and transfer solutions across generations to high net wealth Canadian families. A lawyer by profession, Leanne brings more than 15 years experience, knowledge and a client centric focus to the business. Good morning, Leanne. Thanks for joining us as part of the Take 5 with RBC series. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this chat. So one of the ways our lives have changed due to COVID is that it seems to be a bit easier now for Canadians to have conversations with family members and advisors about difficult topics, such as planning our next stage of life. Is this what you've been seeing too as you work with clients who are approaching or are in retirement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's no question in my mind that COVID has been a wake-up call for a number of us um, worldwide, not just in, mm-hmm. in Canada, uh, around these late life planning topics. And and I think one of the things I found really interesting is it's not just about, you know, talking about estate planning or having a will, but talking about some of the late life, but potential, you know, sort of that incapacity or mm-hmm. cognitive impairment, or, you know, what do I do if I can't make decisions for myself? So the, the whole breadth of conversation has really expanded for sure. Well, how do you get past that feeling of awkwardness or intrusion? These can be tricky subjects, you know, having a conversation about such personal things as your possessions and what you hope to leave behind. It is tricky and and sometimes it's even considered, you know, taboo mm-hmm. or beyond just uncomfortable. Um, but I think situational areas like, like COVID, like looking at, um, you know, examples of real life uh, friend situations or seeing what other family members have gone through stories in the news. These can all be conversation starters to, to really, you know, lead by example and say, I, I heard this story about this family that had this, and I'd really like to make sure we avoid that. What have you done? What do your plans look like? Or, you know, the reverse, I want to make sure you're aware of the way we've set things up. And I want to make sure that you know, where all of my important documents are, and, and we want to have an open conversation about how some of these assets that we have um, are distributed amongst you as, as my kids when the time comes. So I think really just, you know, jump-starting the conversation from a place of current events or a recent example of something that's happened in your lives is, is, is sort of an easy way to, to get it going. I think that's a great suggestion. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. We're reading so much about that right now. Speaking of reading, you've written entire books about the importance of estate planning, which we can't, of course, condense down into the time we have today. But if our audience walks away remembering only a couple of reasons of why they should prepare their estate plans, what would you like those to be? Well, first, remember that, you know, the family you're leaving behind or the loved ones you're leaving behind are going to be in a state of grieving. So you want to make this aspect of things as easy for them Mm -hmm. as possible. So being really organized, um, anyone I've talked to whose family member who's passed has left something um, that, you know, a bit of a binder or or a how-to guide um, has 
has always been a great source of relief for the people left behind. But I think maybe even beyond that, um, just really being thoughtful ahead of time about who you're naming as your executor mm-hmm. or your power of attorney, talking to that person, making sure they understand their role, and probably most importantly, making sure they want the job is something that is mm-hmm. really overlooked. Um, and I think a lot of people, if they really understood what they were being asked to do and were given the opportunity to say, yes, I want to do it or no, I don't, might choose to say no. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I know people that are appointed executor who don't even know it until, you know, the documents are read. So knowing what really goes into that role could certainly sway someone's decision. And you also make a terrific point about knowing where those papers are. I know my parents, you know, walked us to the closet, you know, where the papers are. And I think that is super important as well. I was having a a conversation about this with some girlfriends just last night, and uh, one of my friends said to me, it had gone so far that her father had written down, here are the orders that I'm expecting to be delivered. Isn't that funny? So that's pretty (laughs) precise, but um, they were very grateful. These are terrific uh, tips, and if we want to see more, we can certainly go to rbcroyalbank.com slash retirement. Thank you so much for your time, Leanne. We could have spent a lot more time on this, but it's a great jumping-off point, I think, for a lot of our listeners. Thanks. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. One thing I've learned from writing nonfiction parenting books and using real-life situations for examples to illustrate a point is that even with what I would call bad parenting stories, people never recognize themselves. Write your truth. I have told all of my friends and family that I should come with a warning sign that says, that may end up in a book one day. You don't like it? Write your own book. Thanks to Ralph ben and Kathy Galdiner for sharing their experiences. On next week's show, travel expert Natalie Preddy tells us about moving about the world with interracial grandparents. And Ross Petty drops in to take us to a new land, Wonderland, with behind-the-scene details on his new holiday pantomime show, Alice in Wonderland. Our Take 5 with RBC series focuses on cross-border travel and shopping ahead of Black Friday. Thanks for joining me, and a special thanks this week to my producer, Callie Robotham, and everyone at Zoomer who has been making this so much fun and who are so generous in sharing their expertise with me. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter, at Kathy Buckworth, or email her, kathy at kathybuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.